on the attributes of God. Uh, we spent a couple of weeks on John 4, 4, 24. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And as I was looking over my notes and thinking through what we had done, I thought there was a element of John 4.24 that I really needed to camp out on tonight because I think it's helpful for us in, in our understanding. We're going to think about the fact that God is a spirit with the intention that in understanding that God is a spirit it helps us to better understand our ourselves. Uh, the more we contemplate that God is a spirit, I think it helps us to understand uh, our future condition, and that will become more clear as I work through this. But what are we to understand when we think about the fact that God is a spirit? Well, when we think about God, remember there are three persons in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We refer to the Godhead as persons because they, in fact, do have being. They are indeed uh, persons, having emotion and will and uh, intellect, but the triune God, of course, the Son of God, eventually took upon himself flesh uh, when he became incarnate, when uh, the Son of God uh, was born of a, of a woman, and you have the God-man Christ Jesus. But when we think about God, God is a spirit and that carries with it the connotation that we are to understand that God as a spirit does not have a physical body. God does not have a physical body. We are quite accustomed to figures of speech being used in speaking of God. And we recognize them quite rapidly. No one has to point them out to us that they are figures of speech. For example, 2 Samuel 22.2, he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress. Now, no one would think that God is literally a, a rock or that God is literally a fortress. But we understand that to mean that he is our strength when we think about rock. He is our place of refuge or protection when we think about fortress, Second Samuel two, uh, twenty-two, three. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. So we understand all of those things to be figurative. We would never think of God as little rock or fortress or shield. We immediately understand that these are figures of speech. We must also understand that when the Bible speaks of God with human physical characteristics, that these also are figures of speech. And our mind does not run as quickly to that understanding as it does in other figures of speech. I mean, it just leaps off the page when we think about God as a rock, that that's not literal. But when we think about God's eye or God's ear, we may lose sight of the fact that that is not literal either. And so we look at number two. The Bible employs anthropomorphisms when speaking of God. Definition. An anthropomorphism is a figure of speech in which God is spoken of in human or 
animalistic physical terms. Usage. Words that describe God as if he had human features. They occur whenever scripture mentions God's arm, ear, or other body parts. These descriptions are not to be taken literally because God is a spirit. So examples of anthropomorphisms. God's hand. Isaiah 59.1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. God's ear. Found in that same verse. In verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither his ear so dull that it cannot hear. God's face. In the very next verse. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. All of those are figures of speech. God does not have a hand. God does not have an ear. God does not have a face. So the figurative language interpreted. God's eyes, which speak of his watchful care. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth so that God sees, quote unquote, meaning that he knows, that he is aware. We might even use the terminology in English and say, I see, meaning I understand, I, I get it. God sees, God knows. God's ears, which speaks of his willingness to hear our prayers. The eyes of the Lord are open uh, upon the righteous. His ears are open unto their cry. A figurative way of saying that he listens to us. He, quote, hears us, pays attention to us. God's wings speak of his protection. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in thee, and in the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Matthew twenty three thirty seven gives us one of the interpretations of that figure of speech. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones, those who sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. A mother hen will gather the chicks under her wings. Growing up on a farm, one of the things that uh, I often did was uh, cut and bale hay. And you always had to be careful that uh, you weren't running over a pheasant's nest. And a pheasant would literally gather uh, her young under her, her wings and sit on that, that nest in order to protect them. Here is God protecting us, uh, engulfing us. Sometimes the picture is his arms uphold us carry us. Here his his wings. Again, all of that are figures of speech. God does not literally have wings. God's hand speaks of his actions. And there are many different adjectives that are used to describe God's hand. In Ezra, God's good hand is referred to, I believe, six times. Six times. One of them is Ezra 7, 9. For upon the first day of the first month, he 
was to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. God's good hand, meaning that God was leading him. God was directing him. God was watching him. If you ever see sometimes a parent, I can remember back when when I was a child, my dad would often do this. Uh, When I was walking next to him, uh, he'd rest his hand on my head and kind of just turn me the way he wanted me to go, Uh, almost like a little puppet. I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, Sometimes, you know, you may uh, just uh, guide a a, a child that way. Uh, Well, the good hand of God is is leading his, his direction. A short hand would speak of inability. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. You can think, you can picture. Uh, another imagery is that God has reached out to us and uh, God delivers us. So you can think about someone who, who wants to deliver a person. Think about somebody that's drowning and another person is leaning over the boat and trying to reach them but they're just outside of their their grasp. They're just too far away. That's the imagery. That's the picture. God's hand is never too short. We're never too far away. We're never so far under the top of the water that God can't deliver us. God's arm is long enough. God's right hand speaks of his power. Show the wonder of your great love. You who have by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Most people are right-handed. And as right-handed people, most of us who are right-handed, that is our stronger arm. We can do more with our right arm than we can with our left arm. So here God's arm is described as his right arm. It's a powerful arm. It's a useful arm. It's a guard that can do what God wants him to do. Another imagery of God's right hand is a place of authority. As people of stature would be placed on the right, people of a little less stature would be placed on, on the left. All of these things are anthropomorphisms. Anthropomorphisms make the language of the Bible more vivid. They help the reader to picture what God does. One may say sin separates us from God, but it evokes a deeper emotional response to say that God hides his face from the sinner. Uh, I am one that, that loves English. Probably if I wouldn't have been a pastor, I would have wanted to have been an English teacher. I enjoy it. I love figures of speech. Uh, they jump off the page at me. I have a very vivid uh, imagination when it comes to, to reading those figures of speech. I, I see them. Literally, I, in my mind's eye, I, I picture these, these figures and they, they come alive. They uh, are vivid. They are tremendously helpful to think about God's hiding his face. Of course, in the book of Exodus, we have Moses and God says, you cannot look upon my face and live, meaning that you can't see me fully. You can't behold all of my glory. And so there, Moses is placed in the, clever, uh, in the uh, cleft of a rock. And the scripture says that God's back passed before him, meaning that, that a veiled glory passed by. Didn't literally see the back of God, but it means that he saw God, but he didn't see God in his fullness because humanity is incapable of doing so.
anthropomorphisms then aid one's understanding of who God is and how he acts for his glory in the world. There would be much that we could uh, unpack in that area, but believe it or not, that's not my goal tonight. But rather, I want us to think about what that teaches us when it says that God is a spirit, and so then we must worship him in spirit and in truth. That our spirit corresponds to God's spirit. Now, we are both body and spirit. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 34, But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. I may please the Lord, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of this world. I may please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the woman who is unmarried and a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body excuse me, and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So we are both body and spirit. Another aside, uh, theologians love to argue about everything. And one of the areas that theologians argue about is man's physical and spiritual makeup. And there are two parties, one called trichotomists and uh, the other that are called dichotomists. Trichotomists view uh, human beings as body, soul, and spirit. And the dichotomists refer to body and spirit, and spirit and soul are somewhat interchangeable with some distinctions. I'm not getting into that debate tonight. That's not the point. Tonight, the point is that our spirit, in some sense, corresponds to God's spirit. Now, what does that teach us? Well, first of all, A, it is in our spirit that we relate to God. God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit. Now what I did was list for you a number of references in which Paul is praying for various people's groups, various churches, that God would be with their spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Philippians 4.23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 2 Timothy 4.22, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Philemon 1.25, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It is in our spirit that as believers we are transformed. Ephesians 4.23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of of your mind. So this renewal takes place inwardly. It's our spirit that is renewed, and here it's referred to as the spirit of the mind, meaning that the the thinking aspect of our spirit is renewed. But we're renewed in all facets of our spirit, not just intellectually, but emotionally. We are strengthened. We are changed. We no longer fear. We are at peace with God. Not only do we, are we transformed emotionally, but uh, we are transformed in our relationship to God. We talk about the spiritual 
transformation. Our bodies give expression to our spirit. So last week we were emphasizing the fact that we worship God internally as opposed to externally. And the reason is because the body is just giving expression to our spirit. Matthew fifteen eighteen. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So the spirit gives life and expression to our actions. Our hands do what our spirit wants them to do. Our eyes look at what our spirit wants them to uh, look at. Our mind reflects and contemplates what our spirit wants to think about. It is with our entire being that we are to serve God. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete. That would be a good verse for the trichotomist. But you see, the idea here is that in your, your whole being, we don't want to be dualists. We're not saying that. And the early church had to deal with Gnosticism. And Gnosticism made a great distinction between body and uh, spirit. But they taught that the body was sinful and the spirit was righteous. And I'm not talking about after a person is born again. But they, they viewed that which was physical as being sinful, that which was non-material is being spiritual. That's not what I'm saying tonight. What I'm saying to you is that our physical bodies are given life by our spirit and they are given expression by our spirit. So, lessons from God's being a spirit and our having a spirit. We must keep in mind that the life that we experience is life in the spirit. Genesis 2.7 The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. A living being. When Genesis 2.7 states that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, we need to understand that the Hebrew word for breath is ruach. Ruach, the Hebrew word for breath. It is also the Hebrew word for spirit. So when the Bible is talking about the breath, it's talking about the spirit. The spirit. Uh, and so God breathed into man, or God gave man spirit and he became a living being for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead that though they are judged in the flesh as men they may live in the spirit according to the will of god our spirits are what gives life to us think about it you've all been to a funeral Everybody has 
seen a corpse. Is there anybody that has never seen a corpse? Okay. Everybody's seen a corpse. There is a dead, lifeless body. Nothing there. That body, though it has eyes, cannot see. Though it has hands, cannot move. Though it has a brain, cannot think. That body is dead. But when we talk about death, and I've said it often, it's important to remember that death does not mean cessation of life. Death is always separation. So when we talk about physical death, we're talking about separation of body and spirit. When we think about spiritual death, we're talking about separation of our spirits from God. B. Though immediately after death, we are in a disembodied state, we are still alive. Okay? So when we die, our spirit is separated from our body. 2 Corinthians 5.8 We're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body. Our bodies return to dust. Genesis 3.19 by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So our bodies decay. Our do- bodies are placed in the ground. Our bodies are lifeless, cannot move, cannot function, cannot act. But our spirit continues on. Our spirit continues to live. And our spirit goes to be with God. 2 Corinthians 5.8 We have good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Here's the application number one. Although we will temporarily be in a disembodied state, We can still, quote, see, hear, and speak. We won't have a body, but our emotion and will and intellect continues on. And so, just as God can see and know without eyes, so too we will be able to see and know. Without eyes. Just as God can hear without ears, we're going to be able to hear without having literal physical ears. In our disembodied state, we're not asleep. We are very much conscious. Very conscious. Aware. Knowledgeable. I believe we know what's happening here on the face of the earth. We certainly know what's happening in the presence of God. There are many, many verses that we can unpack in this area. But tonight, my thought to you is simply this. When it talks about us being a spirit, that is the real essence of our, of our being. That is what God relates to. That is what we relate to with God. And that's what we relate to with one another. 
D, when Jesus returns, our spirits will be reunited with our bodies. And that's what we refer to as the resurrection. And so there's going to be a reuniting of our bodies and souls. And it doesn't matter if our bodies have been decayed or blown up or, or uh, cremated or whatever the case may be. Uh, God is going to reassemble those bodies. First Thessalonians 4.14 and for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, a euphemism for death. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now you get this picture. And get the picture because it's an important one. It tells us in verse 14 that God is going to bring with him those who have, have died. They're, they're returning with Jesus. Their spirits are with him. But before those who are alive are caught up to be with the Lord, the bodies of those that God is bringing with him are raised. And they are reunited. And then the rest are caught up to be with the Lord. Ezekiel pictures this. Ezekiel 37, verses 3 and following. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. Remember, breath is the same word as spirit. The spirit will enter into you, that you may come to life. And I will put my sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath. All these, again, same as spirit. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath. And breathe on these slain that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them. And they came to life. And stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. So here's this picture of gathering from the, the four corners of the heavens. The spirits of these individuals being once again placed in these bodies. And now the bodies come to life. My simple point to you tonight is that we are both body and spirit. God is only spirit. The Son of God, of course, took upon himself humanity, took upon himself flesh. And so the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, is in a bodily form forever future. God has, excuse me. Uh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, will have 
a body in heaven. Of course, he has a resurrected body. That is the basis of our trust and our confidence in our resurrected body. But God is a spirit. And when we start thinking about our emotion, our will, our intellect, we think about a a dead corpse, I think we begin to understand that, that that is the real essence of being. It's spirit. So when we talk about God being a spirit, we're not talking about some nebulous kind of aphorism out there, but but we're talking about a person of emotion and will and intellect who can see, who can hear, and who can understand. And the best way for that understanding to be imparted to us is by using physical terms, because we get that. We understand that. But now I'm asking you to put that figure on its head and be learning a little bit about our future condition in that period of time between we die and the resurrection that will occur when Jesus Christ returns. In that intermediate period, we refer to it as the intermediate state because it's not the final state. It's not our final destination. It's not our final way of being. Our finality is going to be one of being reunited in body and soul, uh, body and spirit. But um, in that intervening period, when to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that means our emotion, our will, and our intellect continues on. The life of that lifeless body continues. I don't know how to say that in a clearer way, in a more dramatic way, but I would encourage you to reflect on it, ponder on it, meditate on it, chew on it, because it's a wonderful concept. And it also helps us to understand what is the real nature of worship and how silly we become when we worry about how long our hair is and all these other things. You see, that stuff just doesn't matter. It's about our emotions. It's about our wills. It's about our intellect. The body just gives expression to what's going on inside. And that's what God is interested in. What is going on inside? That is the real you. And that is the real me. And that is the place where I need to relate to God. And by the way, I need to relate to you. And you need to relate to me. Our spirits united and love, and commitment to each other and to Jesus Christ. God is a spirit, and we must worship him in our spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you, and Lord, help us to uh, fathom more and more what it means that you are a spirit 
and that we are spirit and body. Help us to worship you in our spirit. Give us a sense of greater understanding of what it means to be absent from the body, but to be present with you. Help us to understand that the real essence of our being never ceases to live, but has fellowship with you in knowing and seeing and understanding in ways that are far beyond our ability to see and know and to hear now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.